You guys know I'm all about making our lives as easy as possible in sobriety. Well, you can eat stress-free this spring with Factor Meals, and they're offering my listeners 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month with code HAPPIEST50. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted and dietitian approved You can choose from a weekly menu of 35 options plus more than 60 different add-ons. What I love so much about Factor is that I've never been someone who makes time for cooking, but with Factor, I have delicious meals ready to go and on the table in just two minutes so I can get back to doing what I want with my time without the hassle of any prep, cooking, or cleanup, a total godsend. Factor is also celebrating Earth Day all month long, so look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for their lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com slash happiest50 and use code happiest50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code happiest50 at factormeals.com slash happiest50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. There are so many amazing perks of being sober, and one of my favorites is that sobriety allows us to take self-care to the next level, and it gives us such a sense of confidence. There's really nothing like feeling confident in your own skin. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, One Skin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. I've told you about how when I got sober, one of my favorite things was starting a skincare routine because that was not something I ever prioritized before, but let's be honest, knowing what the best skincare routine is can be a little overwhelming. That's why I am excited about OneSkin. There's no complicated routine, no multiple step protocols, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code HAPPIEST at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code HAPPIEST. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support my show and tell them I sent you. Hi everyone, I hope you're all having an amazing week. I could not be more excited for this episode because I loved this conversation. I love this guest that I'm chatting with um, this week. So today I am chatting with Jill Teets. You probably know her from her podcast, Sober Powered, which is just absolutely incredible. Jill is low-key kind of just like the queen of sober podcasting I feel Um, and on top of that she is oh my god so kind so inspiring such a cheerleader in the sober community Um, I cannot say enough good things about her so today we're going to hear all about her story and we also get to chat more about science and sobriety because Jill is a sober scientist which I think is so cool and like I've shared before learning about the science um, of what alcohol kind of does to our bodies and our brains was something that really 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 helped me in my early days so we chat about that you're going to take away so much from this episode especially if you are someone who has really struggled with trying to make moderation work and with feeling like there is something wrong with you for the fact that you haven't been able to make moderation work. Um, This is going to be a really, really helpful episode for you. So with that being said, I'm not going to make you wait any longer to hear it. So here is my chat with Jill. Hi, Jill. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm so happy to have you here. I, first of all, it's so fun that we're finally meeting. 
because we've chatted a ton and have not met yet. So it's our first time on a call. Um, and I just, I think that everything you do in the sober community is so needed and so important. And so I'm super, super happy to have you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. And and yeah, I forget sometimes that we hadn't talked for real because we've been talking for so long. Yeah. And I feel like because we watch each other probably on Insta stories, it feels like we've chatted. <laughs> but okay. Oh my gosh. There's so much I want to chat with you about. I want to hear first about your story, but then I also want to talk because you're a sober scientist, which is so cool. And I want to chat about that because I am the least sciencey person ever. <laughs> Science was like one of my worst subjects in school. But one of the things that helped me so much to get sober was learning about the science of it, which is yeah. so funny. So yeah, I definitely want to chat about that as well. But um, for starters, how long have you been sober? What's your sober date? Uh, November 9th, 2019. So I'm three and a half years. Are you? I'm November 8th, 2020, almost exactly a year after you. There are so many people that are right around our date, like so many, like the 5th to the 10th. That's so, so many. fun. So you're three and a half years. Yep. Like just past. Oh, awesome. Oh my gosh. And okay. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of like what your drinking days looked looked like and like what kind of led you eventually to sobriety? Yeah, I was a daily drinker, mostly wine. But if I really wanted to ruin my night, I would drink vodka. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on the mood, you know, depends how quickly you want to destroy your night. Um, And I was really obsessed with moderation. I think that's the main part of my story. I started drinking really late. I was uh, basically sober until I was 22. I had an occasional drink, but I didn't, I didn't drink much at all until I went to grad school. And once I went to grad school, I was the only person who didn't do it. And I had always been really secure in the fact that I didn't drink. And basically everybody else did. Like I would go on dates and willingly not drink. And like, I didn't care. And there was just something about the grad school vibe that made me feel like if I don't do this too, people aren't going to want to be my friend. And I went to school for science. So there's a big drinking culture. I know everybody says that about whatever industry, but there's a big drinking culture in science. Like there's alcohol all over the place. Uh, People have alcohol on their desks. When I went to work in biotech, there's alcohol in the fridge the kitchen or liquor in the cabinet. There's a lot of parties. Like sometimes at my school, they would get that ice luge thing that you take a shot off of. Do you know? It's like a, no, I felt so cool doing it for the first time, right? Like so stupid. (laughs) It's like a ice structure um, that it's like a ramp and you pour a shot down it and then you put your head like below it oh. and just take a shot off of it. Oh, and, wow. Like at a party at the school with the professors. So because that was the culture, I felt like I have to participate. And I just started ordering like what other people got because I didn't know how to drink. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I'll have I'll have a Bud Light, too. And I started there and it took a few times, 
But the first time that I got like an actual buzz on, I was like, okay, I understand. I get it. Oh, I had the exact same experience. I thought I started later, but I started at 17. <laughs> That's <laughs> at the later? Time, I, I thought, right, because I didn't drink until my last year of high school. And I, much like you, was just like, like I chose not to drink well for because because of other factors for me and my family but like when I did it eventually like I think I thought for a long time like I don't want to drink or like if I do I'm not gonna be a big drinker and then the first time I experienced the buzz I was like oh okay (laughs) now I see (laughs) yep now I get why everybody does this yeah and I used to say too like um, I really bought into the whole stigma that it was a weak old loser thing And I used to always say I would never let that happen to me. Mm. I got this. And I'm strong, that whole thing. And like basically as soon as I started drinking, it was a problem. I never had like a good part. I just like immediately was getting sick, blacking out. Like I had no understanding of how much alcohol was too much to drink. So I thought if I wasn't drunk in that exact moment, I was good to continue drinking. Right. So I was like always getting into trouble. And really what I learned through grad school was like whenever you have stress, we drink and then your stress goes away. And I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. I'm actually a very stressed out person. I have stress every day. So I just like naturally it made sense to just drink every day. Right. So I, like, I found the solution. Yeah. Like, oh, I didn't know that 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 was it. Like I just had to drink every day and like I would be oh, OK, I got it now. Like, So yeah. I just started drinking every day and I would go out and like, you know, people were drinking shots and like doing and it was a bad time, like right from the start. My poor husband, like. <laughs> I'm so lucky that that he's such a good guy, but I met him like as soon as I started drinking. Oh, interesting. Okay. He witnessed the whole thing. And really like in my first month of drinking, I was already like throwing up in the parking lot of the bar because I didn't understand when to stop. And he was of course there because we had like a really a quick relationship before like we got engaged and got married and everything. Like we just knew right away, like this was it. So he was like always there (laughs) taking care of me, unfortunately. And yeah, he, what we started living together. Like we got engaged after nine months and started living together a few months after that. And he just watched the whole decline. And I ended up leaving that that school after the first year and I started teaching instead and I took my new coping skill when you're stressed you drink and the stress goes away into teaching and teaching is like one of the most demanding high stress low reward incredible amount of hours job like I worked a few jobs where my boss would email me at like seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and I'm like 
trying to sleep off a hangover and I'd get another email at like eight or nine, an angry one. Like if I didn't respond on a Saturday. Oh my God. So it was just this expectation to like work all day, all night, all weekend. And so I just continued to drink every day to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, my drinking really accelerated when I started teaching because of the stress. And I just really wanted to take the edge off and treat myself and unwind. And my tolerance started going up and up and up. And that's when I first detected something might be wrong. Um, We were teaching. You don't make very much money if you're a teacher, Mm -hmm. like almost no money. And my husband was still in grad school. So we were like pretty broke. And I switched to vodka because yellowtail wine was too expensive. I don't know if you have yellowtail wine, but it's like (laughs) so cheap, like one of the cheapest wines ever. And now the amount that I was drinking was too expensive. So I switched to cheap vodka. Okay. And then that just like blasted off my tolerance. And I noticed that I was drinking like double what I used to drink. And like blacking out a lot, like several nights a week. And I thought like, this is a lot of alcohol that you're drinking. And then I'm thinking through it and I'm like 24 years old at this point. And I'm like, okay, I'll just drink less. I'll just, you know, cut back, I'll moderate. And then that led to the whole moderation journey where like I just could not do it. I couldn't cut back and I would wake up every day and I would Google, how do you moderate your drinking? Why can't I control my drinking? How do you know if you're an alcoholic? All of these things. And I kept messing up and hating myself for it. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And I like ended friendships with people because I thought that they were a bad influence. I was trying to find the cause. Right. Like anything other than it being a problem. Like what can I yeah. kind of blame it on, right? Yeah. So I blamed it on friends. So I ended friendships with people because I thought that they pressured me to drink too much and it was their fault. And I even switched my career at one point because teaching must be the cause. And if I wasn't stressed out and overworked and underpaid, I wouldn't have to drink this much. So that's when I got, I went back to grad school and I got a master's and I switched into biotech and working in labs. Um, And now that I had like a lunch break and normal working hours, I started going to therapy and I went specifically to find out if I was an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) I asked the therapist on the first day, I'm like, how do you know if you're an alcoholic? I'm kind of worried that I might be. Yeah. And she's like, well, I don't think that you are, which like, you shouldn't say that, but she's like, I don't think that you are, but why don't you try to not drink for a week and we'll see how that goes. And I was a daily drinker for years and I was like, what am I going to do? I don't know what normal people do if they don't drink every night. Like, what could you possibly even do with your evening 
-hmm. if you're not just drinking. And I was really motivated to do it though, because I didn't want to be an alcoholic. You wanted to prove that you could do it and that you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. What an interesting response that was from her. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it wasn't the best fit for a therapist. I should yeah. went to like anybody else, but <laughs> it did get me that one week experience. And how did, how did it go? The week? Uh, it was boring and sad and stressful, but mm. I made plans. I looked on the Boston community page thing and I found a grilled cheese festival that was going on that weekend because I like I would not drink during the day and get drunk every night but on the weekend I would start at like 11 o'clock at brunch and go all day and all night so like I had no idea what to do if I wasn't drinking. So I found this little event that I never would have gone to before because they didn't have alcohol and it was really fun. And we got like a bunch of different samples and it just kind of showed me like you can actually have fun without a drink. I genuinely didn't think you could before. I thought like people were boring. And that's so fascinating to me because you had lived 22 years of, of not ever drinking. So that's so interesting that like even though you had all of that life experience of like not drinking for much longer than most people do as adults, you still kind of like couldn't fathom it. Yeah. Yeah. And I got so used to drinking all the time and like building my life around that that I had nothing else to do. Right. Like I didn't even know what I would do with my time. Like before drinking, I used to emotionally eat and it's like, so I should just not drink, but eat, like eat all night instead. I don't want to do that. (laughs) So I just didn't, I used to ask that therapist, like, what do you do at night? Like, what do regular people do if they don't drink every day? Like, I just could not fathom what people did with their time. Mm -hmm. So I'm so curious too to come back to like when you so you had been sober until you were 22 or just a non-drinker until you were 22 and then when you very first started drinking it was like immediately like problematic what did you make of that at the time because you said it wasn't until kind of you you were 24 you switched to vodka like what did you make of the fact that that was your relationship with alcohol initially and like what what were your reasons? Cause like you didn't, you went through all of your undergrad without drinking, right? Like what was that like? And and why didn't you do it at that point? And yeah, what did you kind of make of like your first couple years of it? Yeah. So I was really bullied in school. Um, so middle school and high school, I was really bullied like the whole time. So I was never invited to parties. Mm. So it wasn't that like I, it was partly, I didn't drink by choice, but it was also, I didn't have an opportunity. Okay. So that was a main contributor to it. Like you had opportunity at 17. If I had an opportunity, I probably would have checked it out, but I just didn't. And that was a big reason why I waited. And then when you're bullied for that long, like eight years straight with like almost no friends and you go to college, it makes you kind of weird. Like I didn't know how to interact with other people. I assumed people wouldn't like me immediately. 
So I was afraid to put myself out there. Yeah. Um, because I had eight years of experience of like everyone I met being mean to me. So I kept to myself a lot and I just would study and go to the gym and come home. Like I did have some friendships, but I was really, really hesitant to try to connect with other people. And the two closest friends that I did have in school, they were like, wake up at 5 a.m., like go lift, um, go to school all day. Like they worked a lot because they were supporting themselves. So they weren't really partiers either. Um, so, so that was luck again. Okay. But yeah, it was weird. Um, and it, it took me a long time to get out of that and trust yeah. that people might be neutral towards me or even pleasant when they first meet me. And when I was in college, I was also really, really obsessed with being thin Okay, that was my first love. Like, can I how can I get thinner like every day? I had the same. Yeah. Struggles with that. And that that doesn't mix with drinking alcohol. So that's another reason I had no interest in it, because I would see people get drunk and party and like eat fast food at two o'clock in the morning. And I didn't want anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of stuff going on that like kept me from it. Yeah. Mostly it was no opportunities though that kept me from it. And then um, when I first started drinking, I thought that it was normal. And I thought that people like they just kind of threw up sometimes and laughed mm-hmm. it off. And I saw a lot of women that were getting really drunk and embarrassing themselves in a similar way as I was. And I never saw men do it. And that was like how I first started detecting that something about my drinking was different. But I had a lot of examples of other women that were my age that were getting like nasty drunk, like so drunk, blacked out, sick. So I just thought it was what everybody did. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones that introduced me to it. And like it was so normalized at the school, like they had drunken parties like all the time with the professors. Like I just thought that that was kind of how you did it. Yeah. And I never saw the example of like having a drink or two slowly and stopping. Mm-hmm. So I just I just thought what I was doing was OK. And then I because of the tolerance I detected, it was a thing, but it was also because I started comparing my experience to my husband's and he never got sick. He never blacked out. He never jolted awake at 3 a.m. He never went to sleep with his clothes on or his, his makeup on if he ever wore any. (laughs) You know what I mean? He never like went to sleep, not ready for bed. He never felt ashamed of himself. He didn't Mm. regret anything. He never embarrassed himself. And I started watching him and I'd watch him switch to water willingly and like get up in the morning and his whole day wasn't ruined afterwards. What a concept, eh? Right? (laughs) So weird. And I was like, why can he do that? And I can't do that. And I started realizing like, 
am I, is something wrong with my drinking? Like, am I different? And then once you start to wonder that you also connect it with the stigma, like, oh my God, am I, I said, I would never let this happen to me. Like, am I the loser? Right. Did I let it happen to me? Like, how could I, how could I do this? What's wrong with me? And then that just kept me wanting to drink too, to prove that I wasn't an alcoholic loser. Yeah. That's so such like a good point that even though you were having that experience with alcohol right off the bat, it's so normalized. And especially at that point in life, like the school drinking is so normalized. And even to the point where like you started to get concerned about it. And even a therapist was like, well, I don't think you're an alcoholic. Like it really is. It's so, it's just so normal, but that's so funny too, because I, my mom is sober. Um, and I grew up where we talked about alcohol a lot and she instilled in us when we were younger, like, okay, when you go away to school, drink, but like have one or two, pay attention to how it makes you feel like really instilled in us to drink slowly and to pay attention. And even having grown up with that narrative, once I got off to school and I started drinking and like was surrounded by binge drinking and partying, I thought it was just normal. Like, I think I kind of like internally scoffed at like her saying her saying that I was like yeah like no one does that (laughs) you know (laughs) yep yeah that's that's old advice like yeah only only lame people do that (laughs) you don't understand yeah honestly so okay so you take your your one week break and like you do it you find it hard then what, where do you kind of go from there after that? Like at what, what were those years like after of kind of trying to moderate and what eventually was kind of did it for you to make it stick? Yeah. So after I took the week off, I clearly was not an alcoholic because if I did have a problem, I wouldn't have been able to take a break. Right. So therefore I'm fine. Yeah. And because my therapist wasn't concerned I'm not doing anything wrong. So I just kept doing what I was doing. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And my mental health started getting bad. Yeah. And I would blame it on little things like, I can't drink tequila anymore. Tequila makes me depressed. Little things like that. Um, And... Eventually, it became like so bad that I couldn't ignore it. I developed anxiety, which like I had never had in my life. Mm -hmm. So along with the 3 a.m. jolt and shame, like I was also incredibly anxious and couldn't get back to sleep. I started punishing myself um, because I hated myself so much for not being able to control my drinking. So when I would jolt awake, I would force myself to stay awake and think about what a loser I was for like hours. Like I would keep myself up from like two or 3 a.m. till like 6 a.m. And then I would get like maybe an hour of sleep and then go to work like that every day. And I started like the self-hatred was so strong. Like I would, I would be putting on my makeup for work and my husband would be in the shower and I would just like look in the mirror 
and say like, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Like over and over and over and over until I myself cry. Yeah. It was like, and I still said like, this is normal. I can figure this out. It's not my drinking. It's me. That was my thing too. It's alcohol is the only thing that helps. It's me. I'm a depressed person. Alcohol is my only break from this every day. And eventually like that kept getting worse and worse and worse. I was getting so drunk in public. Like I would humiliate myself, like all like, oh, so many embarrassing memories. Mm -hmm. Fights with my husband over nothing because we were both drunk. And then the self-hatred and the depression got so bad that I started to get really suicidal. And that was kind of the turning point. Mm-hmm. And I realized like I would force myself to stay awake with those thoughts of being a loser. And then I would start thinking like really scary thoughts on top of that. And I would still like wake up and I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I got this. I'm going to control it. I'm going to drink less. And I would research like, how do you like moderation strategies and And I was so desperate to learn to control it and figure out how to keep it in my life. Um, And then the suicidal thoughts just became so frequent that I started to feel afraid. And that was when I decided, like, this is not sustainable. Like, sometimes my husband goes on motorcycle trips or conferences for work, and I'm alone. And I started to imagine what drunk Jill could do by herself feeling that way. And I felt afraid. It was scary. And uh, my husband used to like stay up with me when I would force myself to stay awake. He would stay up too to try to like help me. And one morning we had repeated this like probably a hundred times. And I looked at him and I was like, I can't drink for 90 days. And I thought, like, uh, I just need a break. My my tolerance is just too high. It's a bad habit. And that's why I can't moderate. And if I take a break, then I will be cured. And I will be good to drink again. I did the same thing as the one week, but with Mm -hmm. 90 days. And I drank again, and I got the same result. How did the 90 days go for you? It was okay. Yeah. Um, I saw some benefits. I was very cranky and emotional because I wasn't doing anything. I was just doing it alone. Um, And I was just like focused on the end goal of drinking again after the 90 days. And that was really all I cared about. So I just kind of like suffered through it. There were some positives. Like I realized almost immediately, like the suicidal thoughts went away. Wow. And then around like 60 days, when my mind kind of cleared up, I made the connection that like, oh, if I don't drink, I don't have to feel that way. Wow. And like, I immediately ran out and like got this tattoo 
oh. to like signify that like I don't have to feel it's like a semicolon with birds. Oh, I love that. And this represents like I don't have to feel that way. Yeah. Um. But then, you know, I was cured after the 90 days. It's going to be different. I learned so much. I would never let that happen again. <laughs> and I moderated for the first time in my life after that break. And I wow. was like, look at <laughs> like, me. Like, I got this. <laughs> look at me have two glasses of wine and stop on my own. Like, what? Um and yeah, it was, I isolated to do that. I wouldn't see anyone because they would make me drink too much. So I had to just be by myself. And then we went on a cruise with the drink package. And I said, it's a special occasion. Mm-hmm. I'll drink the way that I want. And then I'll go back to moderating. And I freaking, it was my first time in Europe. I ruined it. I can't even look at the pictures. I embarrassed myself like so much in Europe. It was horrible. So many really, really painful memories. Mm. And I came home and all of that moderation was gone. Yeah, I was drinking every single day with no control. I couldn't stop. I couldn't skip a day anymore. And I think I did that for like three more months. And the suicidal thoughts came back. The anxiety came back. And then my husband and I did the same nighttime routine again. And then on November 9th in 2019, we were sitting watching the sun come up. And I said, I can never drink ever again. And that was it. And I knew like from the 90 day experience, like I could take 9 million days and it would be the same exact result. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, even though it was really scary, I felt at peace too, that it was over. And like, I just like, oh, I don't have to do this anymore. And like, I don't care if no one wants to be my friend and if it's weird and my whole life is boring and I never have fun or happiness ever again. All I know is that I don't have to do this anymore. And that's all that matters right now. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's really inspiring to hear. Like, first of all, I was just thinking like the fact that you really believed like Uh, like you were in such a dark place and you were like, this is me. And the alcohol is the only thing that takes that away. Like it just like the, the courage that it would have taken for you to be willing to like, let it go. I just can't even fathom. And like, it's so inspiring to hear you talk about it and to see like where you are now. Thank you. Yeah. So how how has sobriety like changed your life? How were the early days for you? And how how has it changed your life now? I had a really big pink cloud. Did you? <laughs> did you have one? I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I had a huge one. Um, and it lasted like five and a half months. It was so long and it was great. And I thought like, oh my God, sobriety's the like best. Life is perfect <laughs> now. <laughs> ever. Um, so cute back then. But 
I like, again, the same as before where the suicidal thoughts and the anxiety went away pretty quick. I'm a person that does not naturally have anxiety. Mm -hmm. So that's also really important to say people that do have anxiety to start with probably are not going to have their anxiety magically be cured right by not drinking but mine was just from the drinking yeah so it went away the suicidal thoughts went away I still didn't like myself very much but I didn't want to harm myself I knew like even in like the alcohol fog and like all the craziness that I even though I felt that way that I didn't actually want something bad to happen to me so because all of that scariness went away quickly I was just like yes like look at sobriety what is this like Mm -hmm. everybody needs to know about this (laughs) they should all do it (laughs) so happy if they do it too and I still also really believed in the stigma Mm. and I still thought that I was a loser who didn't have self-control and that was why that happened to me So I started researching it on day two after I felt a little bit better. And I just wanted to know, like, why me? And that kind of inspired everything that I do now. But I just started researching it every single day. And that, along with the pink cloud, made it pretty good. I listened to a lot of podcasts in the beginning, which is why I then started a podcast, because that was like the only thing I felt comfortable doing in early sobriety. Um, And it wasn't all great. Like it wasn't like this amazing pink cloud. Everything just got perfect. Like my friendships did change. People stopped inviting me to things and I had pressure to drink. A lot of people didn't understand and they suggested that I just drink less (laughs) and just have one. Things I hadn't thought of that. (laughs) I haven't been trying to do that for the last five years. Like no way. Um, But just not, not feeling that way about myself was the best part. Um, My husband and I stopped having those alcohol fueled fights over nothing and our marriage got better he actually started feeling more comfortable talking to me about stuff because I wasn't drunk all the time. So I I learned more about him. We had been married, um, I think, for five years when I quit. And And we had been together for like seven. And I was learning so much about him because he wanted to actually share because I, I was in a place to hear it and talk yeah. to him about it. So that was really exciting. Um, I learned how to have fun and be at peace and be calm. I got good sleep. The 3 a.m. wake up stopped. I washed my face every day and I oh. thought that was like the coolest <laughs> Same. <laughs> Taking off my makeup at I night. I was just going to say, look bed. at me. Oh, I know. I was like so proud of myself <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah. Taking off your makeup every night is like its own high. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was hard and it was weird And like, I was unsure about some things, but it just, I knew that I didn't have to feel 
horrible anymore mm. and I didn't I didn't have to hate myself. Yeah. And it took like a lot of people talk about self-love and that's really hard for some people. Like when you're looking in the mirror and telling yourself that you hate yourself till you cry, like self-love isn't something that you can access. Mm-hmm. But I do have it now. Like years later, I remember um, I was just about like six months sober and I walked by the mirror and I was like, you don't look too bad. And I walked past and then I stopped and I was like, a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) But like, that's so huge, though. Like, that is so huge to be able to feel that. Yeah. After yeah. so long of the complete opposite. Yeah. So it, it takes time. But when you keep this promise to yourself that every day I'm not going to drink, you start to trust yourself again and yes. and have self-esteem and having self-esteem like what a good feeling and knowing that like you can keep yourself safe and I don't have to humiliate myself anymore like I used to go out and who knows what was going to happen that night. Like I int- I had a moderation plan, whatever, but I never did it. And it could be a normal night. I could fight with my husband. I could fall. I could throw up in public. Like who knows what would happen. And now I know exactly what's going to happen every single time. Yes. And I know I'm going to come home and know how I got home put myself to bed without my makeup in my pajamas and remember doing it. Like all of that stuff was just so motivating. Yes. And it builds like it builds this sense of being proud of yourself. Yeah. The longer you do that compared to like waking up in a shame spiral and feeling like you hate yourself and like everybody else hates you and you embarrassed yourself instead being able to wake up and feel proud of yourself like that can't not impact your self-esteem and like how you feel about yourself it's huge yeah it's it's the best feeling and there's thoughts like maybe it's been long enough maybe you went overboard with this whole sober thing (laughs) but i just remember like i I know what's going to come back. Yes. It might take a year to come back. Probably not. But even if it did, it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. And I just can't go there. Yes. And that's such a good way to put it and such an important reminder. I always feel like even if I'm at, at a point where I'm not like, yay, I'm sober, feeling great about it, I can always be like, but I never want to feel that way again. Like there's there's no going back to that. Yeah, exactly. And just accepting that that stuff will come back and that's the reality and it's Mm -hmm. never going to be any different. Yes. And so, okay, something I'm so curious about and you you mentioned when you got sober, you started researching, doing research right away. And I was thinking to myself before we got on this call, like you were already a scientist, like science was your thing. How aware were you? of how alcohol impacts like our bodies and our minds. Cause I had no clue until I got sober curious and I started actively looking for that information and reading up. I was shocked. Like, I mean, I knew it wasn't good for me, but I had no idea how bad it was. And I had no idea how much, like, cause for me, anxiety was such a big thing. And when I read why 
alcohol made me anxious and like what it actually does to the brain and that it actually causes that it made me feel so validated in my decision because I was like, oh my God, that's not just a me thing. That's alcohol doing that. That's so like black and white. Like, I don't know. It really solidified it for me. Um, But yeah, I'm curious how much you knew beforehand about it as a scientist. Yeah. I only knew the physical part. I didn't know anything. I thought that all of my problems were me. The anxiety that showed up randomly when I was 28, I was like, add another freaking problem to my list. Like, great. Now I have a new one. I thought it was me. I I never thought it was my best friend, alcohol, but I knew how bad it was physically. Like, I used to use spray bottles of ethanol to sterilize surfaces or I would pump ethanol through my equipment so nothing would grow in there like it I knew like it kills things and I knew how bad it was like for my body but I just kept being like me like that won't ever happen to me Mm -hmm. but I had no idea the connection with mental health no clue at all and that was the first thing I started reading about too was anxiety and once I realized why that was happening to me and it wasn't me. I'm like, well, what else wasn't me? And I started learning like more and more and more about it. And it was helping me disconnect this idea that it was my fault and that I was a loser. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think just understanding why this can happen, like no matter how good of a person you are or what your circumstances are or how good your childhood was, like just understanding all the different risk factors that go into it is so freeing. Like I yes. I, I disconnected my worth mm. from my drinking and I saw it as like just a bunch of bad luck that accumulated <laughs> and chance things that happened that increased the risk And then I just had a problem. And I also learned like kind of why this can't be cured. That was something else I wanted to understand. And so just educating myself on everything alcohol, it helped free me from that. I still like those memories from that vacation I was talking about, like, ugh. Like I have not shared those. Like they're humiliating. I think about them and they ruin my mood. Like I'm still working on some of the shame, but I don't think it's like my fault. Like I'm the worst anymore. Wow. And I, I really resonate with that. And I'm not even a science person, but it really, it freed me too, because I grew up like I have alcoholism all in my family. And I grew up with, you know, that belief that like, you're either someone who can drink or you're not, you're a normal drinker, you're an alcoholic, very kind of black and white thinking about it. And then just even like, it was like a revelation for me to read, like alcohol is an addictive substance point blank, like anyone can get addicted to it. And obviously there are people who are more like likely to obviously look at like your husband, who's uh, what we'd call a normal drinker, but even to just understand that, like when you're drinking an addictive substance, it's going to, 
it's going to, it's going to have that effect. You can struggle with it and the anxiety piece for sure. So I, I think that the science is so freaking helpful to read up on. It just solidifies the decision for me. Was there one thing that surprised you the most? Like one thing you learned that was like a big, like, oh my God. So many. Uh, the first one that pops into my head is that alcohol feels better for some people than others. I thought like I would watch these complete weirdos like leave some alcohol behind in their glass. And I just feel like what like what's going on there? Are they just like really strong? Do they just have like a lot of willpower? Are they just super boring? Like, why is that happening? And then I learned that it just feels better for some people. And it's all about endorphins. Like when we when we drink, it releases endorphins and that's what feels good. And we don't all have the exact same amount of endorphins that are released. And some people, just like some people are prone to depression or anxiety, some people are also prone to lower levels of endorphins endorphins just for their baseline. And there was a really cool study that found that when you give people with average baseline levels of endorphins, you give them a drink, their levels of endorphins don't really change that much. But when you take someone who has naturally lower levels and you give them a drink, their endorphin levels shoot up above the average. Wow, that's fascinating. So sometimes it just feels better. And if it feels better for you and it's more pleasurable and it does a better job at whatever you're trying to get it to do, you're more likely to drink it. People that leave, like my brother's wife, she will order one drink and she'll ask them to make it weak. And I would see her do that. And I'm like, why are you doing that? (laughs) she just doesn't like alcohol very much. Wow. It's not because she's stronger than me. It's just because it doesn't really feel that great for her. And um, again, from like observing my husband, he drinks and he can have like, when he's on his second drink, he starts to get tired. He gets a headache. He knows his sleep is going to be disrupted. And it's just not worth it for him. For me, two drinks wasn't even like starting. That was like the pre-drinking. Like after after three drinks, I was like, really, that's what I'm drinking. Right. And if you have only positives when you drink and the negatives come later when you're super hungover, of course you're going to want to drink more often. Like my husband isn't stronger than me. Drinking just isn't that great of an experience for him. So he doesn't do it that much anymore. That's it. It's not about like he has more self-control. He's better. It's just not that fun for him. For me, it was the best thing that has ever happened in the world. Right. So everyone has a different experience. And I think that's why the stigma exists too, because people only understand their own experience and they can't imagine how awesome the experience of drinking alcohol can be for some of us and how it can like fix our problems and make us have fun. And there's no downsides at all until much later. So that's why they think it's a strong versus weak thing, but it all comes down to like 
how you experience it. And we're all different. Wow. That's so fascinating. I never knew that like the, the buzz was different levels of like good for people. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, you can have two drinks and my brother's wife can have two drinks totally different experience from those two drinks. And Mm. there have been um, studies too with people with a history of trauma, like trauma totally changes how you experience drugs and alcohol. This one was with morphine, but it totally applies in the same way. But people without childhood trauma that had morphine had negative side effects. They had nausea and they felt kind of uncomfortable. People with childhood trauma felt euphoric. Wow. They didn't have the nausea or the discomfort kind of weird feeling. And that's because trauma changes your brain and it changes how things interact with your brain. So if someone feels nauseous, they're not going to seek out that substance again. But if it's euphoric, like I had morphine once, is freaking euphoric. I really? love oh my god, I loved it. <laughs> I'll never forget it. And and that's just because of my brain chemistry and the way that morphine interacts with it. It's not is nothing to do with me or who I am. It's just yes. the way that my brain is. And it's no different than someone having any any physical thing. Like someone who's prone to anything physical, it's just like everybody's different, so everybody's going to react differently. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's so fascinating to know. You're, I feel like I could pick your brain forever <laughs> on cool, cool science facts. But everyone listening, if you don't already need to go listen to Jill's podcast, Sober Powered, for lots of that. Um, how would you say now where you're at three and a half years sober? Like, how is how is life for you now? What's what's your life like now at this point? I would say it's calm. Mm. It's calm. I know what to expect. I feel fulfilled Mm. and happy. Um, I'm not like before my life sucked. And the only good part was those couple of hours in the beginning of drinking because the end of the night was usually always bad. But the beginning of it was great. And I would like survive my horrible life to just get to those couple hours and then repeat the process. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that that was me and the alcohol was like the relief. And now I see like the alcohol caused all that crap. And now like my whole life is the good part. And I don't feel, you probably feel that too. Like it's it's just nice. And I'm happy and I want to help other people feel happy or even neutral. And Mm. it's hard to get used to not having those extreme highs, Mm -hmm. but the lows are so bad. And after a while, like your brain does adjust to value natural rewards. Like now regular stuff is really good. I can feel gratitude again for like a flower that I see outside. Like I'm I'm able to appreciate things more. And that's because my brain isn't used to these huge spikes. Right. And it's just so much better that like it's so much more stable 
that's how I would describe it. Just stable. I know what to expect. I can, I feel like I can do whatever I want. Like I'm teaching at a university that was like literally always my goal since I was 18 and I'm actually doing it now and it's hard and it's a lot of work and like my podcast and like everything I'm doing, it's like, I wouldn't even be able to imagine all that before. And Mm -hmm. just feeling like I like who I am is so good before I was like trapped and imprisoned in this person that like I couldn't stand and it was so hard to be in there. And now it's just like, I'm not at war with myself. Just everything is, is good. And I still have bad days, but they're not anywhere near as bad as they used to be. And I don't make things worse for myself anymore. Oh my God. That was so beautifully said everything. Uh, your whole life, your life is the good part now. I love that. And just, yeah, being able to like find joy in things again, when the joy used to just come from alcohol and now being able to find it in, in the the regular life things and everything you're doing now, like you, I'm sure couldn't even fathom that you'd be doing all of this like a few years ago. No. Yeah. I really thought that I was just a loser. And, and now look at you. Yeah. Now, like, who knows what I'll be doing five years from now? Right. I I literally feel like, why not? Like, why not me? That's how I feel. Before it was like, that'll never happen. And now I'm just like, why wouldn't it? And I I can't find one reason why not. Yeah. Because when you get sober, even just getting sober, you like prove to yourself that you did something you never thought you could do. Yeah. You can do hard and scary things. And then it's like you can take that yep. and then use it towards everything else in your life. Like you can do things that scare you. You can push yourself out of your comfort zone. You can accomplish things you never could have imagined. Yeah. Sobriety unlocks like anything you want because it's so, so hard true. and we feel like we can we'll never be able to do it we'll never be able to enjoy life and like you said once you prove that to yourself it's like geez what else like yes. what else is there so good oh my gosh okay what if for someone who's listening who's maybe struggling with their relationship with alcohol maybe they're in the early days what kind of advice or words of wisdom would you give them I'd say you're already doing something right by listening to this Mm. and keep listening to sober stuff and like following people on Instagram and reading books, just exposure and opening your mind is really great. The other thing I would just say is get connected. Like we feel like we don't need it or we should be able to do it by ourselves, but just being around people that get it is so valuable and it makes you think twice about going back when you become part of a community or you have one friend who's sober and gets it like it just makes you think twice because you feel accountable and you feel cared about and feeling like other people care about you is such a good feeling um i i was really afraid to share in the beginning because of the suicidal thoughts, I thought that that was unique to me. And I thought people would like call the cops, even though like, I didn't feel like that anymore. So I was scared. I thought I couldn't share. And it took months 
And once I did for the first time and so many people reached out and they were like, yeah, me too. And they told me their stories. And I was like, wow, that wasn't just me. Mm. And it helps relieve like a lot of that shame and feeling like something's wrong with you. So I just say get connected, like what, however you're comfortable doing that. Yeah. So true. Community is like game changer. So, so helpful. Oh my God. This was so amazing, Jill. Like so amazing. You're so inspiring. I loved every second of this. Um, Tell everyone listening where they can find you, follow you, listen to your podcast, everything. So if you search for Sober Powered, you'll find me. That's my website, my podcast, my Instagram, and highly recommend my podcast because that's where all my best stuff lives. Yes. You are the like superstar sober podcaster, (laughs) I feel like. So I recommend as well. Thank Thank you you so much for being here. This was amazing. Thank you so much for listening this week. Be sure to go give Jill a follow on Instagram. Go listen to her podcast. Follow along with everything she's doing. If you enjoyed this episode, then feel free to share it on social media or share it with a friend. Rate, review, subscribe. Follow me on Instagram at happiestsober and subscribe to my weekly newsletter at happiestsober.com. I'll chat with you next week. I hope you have an amazing week. Remember that life's happiest when you're sober. Bye. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.